the 19th episode of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. If you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. And there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. So my guest today is Nikki Kimball. And for those of you who might have come to the Virtual Couch podcast because you heard my interview with the host of the very successful Ultra Runner podcast, Eric Schrantz, on his transition from stay-at-home dad to podcast host extraordinaire. And I might add, if uh, you haven't listened to that episode, one of the greatest stories of all time that had to do with a toddler, a leg cast, and a lunch full of peaches. Or if you're one of my friends from the ultra running community here locally, uh, Nikki truly needs no introduction. But for those who are not familiar with the sport, honestly, she is one of the legends. She is truly one of the greatest female ultra runners of all time. For you NBA fans, this is kind of like having an opportunity to have uh, Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson or Larry Bird on for an hour. Or if you like swimming, this is Michael Phelps. Or if you, which I gotta, I gotta stop and say, um, you know, today's topic is about uh, Nikki's. Nikki's being very open and public about her struggles with depression and um, and a lot of the good that she has done since she since she came out and discussed that almost a decade ago. Uh, but Michael Phelps, uh, I have some some literature in my archives here that I hand out often where Michael Phelps has been pretty open about his own struggles with depression. Um, but back to my examples, if you like cooking, it's maybe like Bobby Flay or Guy Fieri. I don't know if those really are the best, uh, if you think in terms of the all-time greats. Um, science, Carl Sagan, Stephen Hawking. My point being, Nikki is a big deal, and that's why I am so grateful for her willingness to be open and to come on the show and talk about her personal struggles with depression. As many of you know, depression can be a crippling form of mental illness, and it can cause people to pull away. It causes people to isolate, to disengage, which unfortunately only exacerbates the problem. And, and for those of you who do struggle with depression or who have people in their lives that struggle with depression, a lot of this information um, is not going to be new, but uh, depression is fueled by automatic negative thoughts, by irrational thoughts. And these thoughts only intensify the further one goes down into the negative spiral. And then there's the stigma that's associated with depression. People often don't want to admit that they too suffer with depression because they're worried about the judgment that often accompanies with it. And Nikki has a, a really powerful story about what that was like for her um, when, when people started to learn or she was worried about when people would learn about her depression. And if you haven't done so, please take a minute and go back and listen to the episode uh, that I call the emotional baseline episode. Because depression only causes that baseline to drop even lower, and at times people feel hopeless when their baseline is low. So now, go back to these examples. Imagine if Michael Jordan or Guy Fieri, um, and actually, like I say, Michael Phelps did actually do this, but anybody else who's considered to be at the top of their sport or their industry, somebody that people look up to and then just assume that because they have that type of success, um, a type that so many of us believe that, man, if we had that success, then we'd truly be happy. And then they, too, admit that they struggle sometimes to get out of bed or to complete a project. Or in Nikki's case, she, she tells, a, again, a very powerful story about times when she couldn't even get herself to, to take a shower. Um, I believe that when people are brave enough to share their own personal struggles with depression, especially somebody on the platform that Nikki has, it can be so beneficial. It can help so many people. It helps them normalize what they're going through, and I believe that it can give people hope. 
Um, hope to know that there can be downtimes, but that there are people who understand or people who care or people that they can reach out to. So if you or somebody that you know suffers from depression, please, please, please seek help. Because again, depression is fueled by negative self-talk. Um, I once heard it put this way, and this has always stuck with me, that if you isolate with depression, basically what you're trying to do, I mean, you're trying to think your way out of a thinking problem. You're relying on the same brain that is giving you these automatic negative thoughts to then get out of this problem of having automatic negative thoughts. So uh, a lot of times it really boils down to just getting help, setting up a support system, being vulnerable, opening up, get medication if necessary, um, do even little things to bump up your emotional baseline. We talked about uh, mindfulness and meditation and um, prayer and, and you know just find, uh, find a way to, to, to get in touch with a support system, get help that can help get you out of some of these uh, really low moments. So, um, but before I step off my soapbox and get to that interview with Nikki, there's a go-to book that I love called The Happiness Trap, and it's by a guy named Dr. Russ Harris. And um, The Happiness Trap does a really nice job of kind of identifying uh, the pressures that we do put on ourselves to find happiness. And then when we don't necessarily find happiness that looks like the happiness that we think we're supposed to have or the happiness that we believe that we're seeing other people have, and we could go on a whole jaunt now about uh, social media and, uh, and what that can do when people look and see just the only the best of, of people's lives that are being put out there. Um, but The Happiness Trap does a really nice job of kind of putting that in perspective. There's some facts that um, Dr. Harris shares in his book that in any given year, 30% of adults suffer from a recognized psychological disorder. And the World Health Organization estimates that depression currently is the fourth biggest, costliest, and most debilitating disease in the world. And, and they estimate that by the year 2020, it will be the second biggest. So um, a lot of this you know, negative thoughts or beliefs is fueled by what Dr. Russ Harris calls this happiness trap that we fall into. And I want to just read a quote out of this book, The Happiness uh, Trap. Um, Dr. Harris says, what exactly is happiness? He says, we all want it. We all crave it. We all strive for it. Even the Dalai Lama has said the very purpose of life is to seek happiness. But, but what exactly is it? The word happiness has two very different meanings. The common meaning of the word is feeling good. In other words, feeling a sense of pleasure or gladness or gratification. We all enjoy these feelings, so it's no surprise that we chase them. However, like all human emotions, and I think that's important, all human emotions, feelings of happiness, they don't last. So no matter how hard we try to hold on to them, they slip away every time. And as we'll see, a life spent in pursuit of all these good feelings is, in the long term, deeply unsatisfying. In fact, the harder we chase after pleasurable feelings, the more we're likely to suffer from anxiety and depression. Uh, one more quote from this book. The other far less common meaning of happiness is, and he says, quote, living a rich, full, and meaningful life, close quote. When we take action on the things that truly matter deep in our hearts, move in directions that we consider valuable and worthy, clarify what we stand for in life and act accordingly, then our lives become rich and full and meaningful and we experience a powerful sense of vitality. This is not some fleeting feeling. It's a profound sense of a life well lived. And although such a life will undoubtedly give us many pleasurable feelings, it will also give us uncomfortable ones such as sadness, fear, and anger. But this is to be expected. If we live a full life, we will feel the full range of human emotions. And, and I feel like that is in my practice, in my own personal life. Um, I, you know, I've struggled with some depress depression as well. Uh, I love to tell the story of um, one time opening up to a running friend of mine named Tom and telling him that you know there was a time where I just felt like I didn't want to get up, but I didn't want to not get up, and I didn't want to do anything, but I didn't want to not do anything, and and I didn't want to run, but I didn't want to not run, and I didn't you know, and and I just I felt so confused, and uh, and Tom was in the medical field, and he just kind of looked at me and said, 
uh, Tony, that's depression. You know, and I was saying, no, 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 I'm the eternal optimist. I mean, you, you're, not, you're not hearing me right. But uh, that was 15, 20 years ago, and, uh, and I have now used that uh, definition for a lot of people in my practice, and, and that does resonate with a lot of people. So again, if you're feeling these, these thoughts, these feelings, um, please go seek help. And, uh, but I think you're going to get a lot out of the interview today. So I apologize for, well, I don't. I was going to say I apologize for the long intro, but um, this is something I'm pretty passionate about is uh, trying, to, trying to normalize and uh, seek help for, for people who have um, struggle with depression. So let me talk a little bit about Nikki. Uh, Nikki, again, if you think of one of the greatest female ultra runners of all time, I could go on and on about her list of accomplishments. Uh, the Western States 100-mile endurance run, which is here in my own backyard in Auburn, California, which is the Super Bowl of 100-mile runs, is uh, she has had 10 consecutive top 10 finishes, which is just amazing in, in its own right. She's won it three times, um, and we talk about this a little bit on the podcast, but one year, uh, boy, she gave the she gave everybody a run for their money, finishing second overall. Um and uh, really chasing down, you know, chasing down the the men, the the, the leaders. Uh, 2014, she won the Run Rabbit Run um, 100 mile run. Uh, she's 2005 World Cup 100K Road U.S. Team Women's Gold. She's won the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc UTMB, which is an incredibly difficult. Um, race that brings out the best runners in the world that is uh, it's over 100 miles we've been 105 with an insane amount of climbing and uh, and she has uh, she's just an amazing athlete um, she's won the marathon de Sablis, she's uh, which is running across the desert in Morocco I believe and uh, she's won races in India she's won races all throughout Africa Europe um, she is just an amazing runner and she is using that platform to talk about her her struggles and uh, with depression and she's going to talk about an amazing program that she has um, brought to life and then hopes that it will expand. It has to do with running and uh, mental health and eating right and mindfulness and, and a lot of good things. Hey, and, and also, I, I videoed the interview with Nikki. Um, we spoke via Skype, and I had a little, uh, little recording software program that um, recorded. The, so there's a video of our interview, and I'm going to put that up on my YouTube channel, and I will have a link to that hopefully in the show notes. Um, I'm just not good at that yet. I need to get better at that. Um, I don't think I moved much of the entire over an hour that I spoke with Nikki, and I'm just kind of sitting there with my big bald head grinning, and uh, Nikki was just fantastic. And uh, on that note, I, I actually recorded um, one in my office here with uh, former pro baseball player Mikel Olson a couple episodes back and have not put that up on there yet either. So I'll get that up on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, let me hit the so a couple of sponsors really quick. Um, as per usual, Eli's Extracts. The all-natural organic shaving cream supports uh, sponsors today's podcast. If you go to Eli's Extracts, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S dot com and use the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, um, you can get 25% off of any order. And again, that's all-natural organic shaving cream and some really, really fun stuff coming up with uh, Eli's Extracts. They've they put together some, uh, some fun facts for some future um, podcasts that have to do with shaving. And uh, we're going to throw a, a couple of contests together along with that too. And today, uh, my uh, good friend of mine, um, Ultra Pool Guy, as he's known in the area. His name is uh, Jeffrey Johnston. Um, Jeffrey, is uh, he's also run Western States and a bunch of other 100-mile runs. Uh, he is a, uh, a licensed insured contractor, the owner of Quality Clear Pools, and specializing in tile cleaning, pool tile cleaning. He's uh, He is there to make that 25-year-old tile look new again. And you can contact him at Johnston, uh, J-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, 
at qualityclearpools.com and get a quote today for pool service or for tile cleaning. Um, again, that is uh, the ultra pool guy, Jeffrey Johnston, at jjohnston at qualityclearpools.com and uh, get that tile looking new again. Okay, so uh, without any further ado, and thanks per usual to Aurora Florence for the music at the end of the episode, the song It's Wonderful. Um, If you like that song, please look her up on the album on iTunes. The entire album is amazing. But now let's get to my interview with one of the greatest female ultra runners, one of the greatest ultra runners, period, of all time, Nikki Kimball. much quieter than having my barking dog. Okay, I was kind of excited to hopefully maybe uh, have an appearance by your dog, but that's okay, right? Oh, shoot, yeah. If I'd gotten out of work earlier, we would have uh, we would have had an appearance of Vika. Okay, no problem. No, it's so, it's, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Like, I'm really excited about this. Um, so, yeah, awesome. Okay, so, and I don't know if you remember, are you okay if I go a little trip down memory lane? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So do well, yep. you, okay, so first of all, I have two distinct memories of Nikki Kimball. First, and I, and by the way, um, I I have done you, I'm sure, uh, at least a good half an hour of uh, build up on the intro because I mean your your Wikipedia page alone is just like uh, it's a, it's like a, a you know it's very impressive. All the races you've done, I want to talk about those. But I mean, obviously, the okay. as a therapist and as having you here on the virtual couch, you know, I'm really anxious to talk to you about. Um, your integrated running camp. So um, that's what I'm really yeah. excited to talk about, right? But so I have. Two I'm no- very excited to um, to grow that project. Okay, good. All right. So two two thoughts. One is I ran into you, and I tried to do the math on this. I went back on my ultra sign up page, and I found it would have been way to cool back in 2008. I think that was my first ever way to cool. And, uh, oh wow! Right? Okay. And so I was in the I was in the bathroom line um, with you. Um, that right, it sounds <laughs> sounds odd for those uh, non ultra running, right? But no, because I just I just been I was fairly new to the sport, and I had already rolled both of my ankles dozens of times, and I was starting to think, okay, I'll never get this. And I don't know if you remember me telling you the story when we met up in Squaw, but um, you you were able to basically turn your ankles all the way. I felt like to the ground, and you were kind of showing me that there was yes. these flexibility exercises you could do. Is that true? Do I remember? Or yeah. Do I remember that right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Okay, so I mean, I mean, I don't remember the specific. Um, outhouse um <laughs> conversation but um <laughs> but the, but that i know my ankles can flop any direction so and really, okay and is that something you've had to develop over time or you know is that just a gift no it's just my it's just genetically my ankles are hypermobile okay so i can yeah so i don't sprain usually knock on wood okay. um yeah Okay. So what's amazing, and again, I know this is for the ultra running um, audience because there's a, you know, I have quite a few of those as well uh, that listen. But so when you're just barreling down some technical trail and, you know, let's uh, any, any race where there's roots and rocks. And I mean, uh, what's that like for you? I mean, are you just all in full bore, not worried about rolling ankles and falling? Yes. Yes. Um, I, there's nothing I love more than going as fast as I can down something steep and gnarly. Wow. I mean, it's, um, as I get older, I can't do it quite as well because my joints are stiffer. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, it, it seems that every time I actually hurt myself is I'm doing something stupid. Like really? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm running on a street or <laughs> riding a motorcycle or 
doing something silly on skis. Like I never get, you know, knock on wood. I don't tend to get hurt barreling down a technical trail. That's just amazing. That is, I mean, uh, and that's just gotta, uh, gotta feel freeing then I guess. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's like a combination of flying and dancing. Okay. I mean, is how I see it. Yeah. And are you even, uh, I mean, my head is just, you know, looking down the entire time, which is not probably the best way to run. What are, what are you, what is that like for you when you're, are, are, do you even pay attention to where you're landing? Or? Um, you know, I think at this point, um, no, <laughs> um, I, okay. I, 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 I mean, I come from a background of ski racing, Okay. so I look for the best line I can take and, um, and I, I'm all just part of the environment. And so I, 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 so yeah, there probably is some thought going there, but I don't, I, I don't, it's not, I think it's happening so fast that it's not conscious, like, Oh, I'm going to put my right foot over two inches from this rock. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I think about it that much. It's, 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 it's such an acquired skill over years and years and years that I, that I just do it. Um, you know, like a great musician just plays music without really thinking about it. I, cause so, you know, I sort of lose time when I'm doing it. I don't, wow. I, I don't, I'm just in this other state. Okay. And I love that, the concept of that other state. So for you, it's not necessarily, okay, how far to the next aid station? I've just got to make it to the next aid station. I mean, do you find yourself all of a sudden, whoa, I'm at an aid station? I mean, is that just time has disappeared? Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. That does happen to me. Um, especially if I'm going, you know, if it's a lot of downhills that I'm having fun. Uh-huh. Um, but I've also had the experience where I've, um, been, you know, too excited on the downhills, like as I get older and I'm not as strong as I was. Um, I remember doing hurt 100 last year. I was having so much fun on the downhills that I was bombing them as hard as I possibly could, uh-huh. um, which is a really stupid thing to do in a hundred mile race. <laughs> so I totally exploded. Um, but I was having so much fun because I was running the downhills are so much fun in that race because they're rooty and muddy and techy. And, um, and so, you know, destroy, you know, destroying, uh, my performance, you know, performing poorly because I made a stupid decision was worth it in that particular race because I had so much fun just blasting down downhills. I don't like when, since I moved to Montana, Uh I don't get technical trails like I did in Vermont. Okay. Um, you know, there's really nothing on the West coast that I've run that's anywhere comparable to some of the trails in Europe and the Northeast. Um, so, so I missed that. So like, you know, being in Hawaii and just being in the situation where I had proper technical trail to run yeah. was, I, I just lost myself having so much fun. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I am racing this as if it's a 20 mile race. Wow. Yeah. It's and yeah. 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 Hey. So it was great for the first 20. <laughs> okay. And then, Hey, so where, where does your mind go? I mean, when, take us through a hundred mile race. I mean, are you, um, do you have moments of, do you hit multiple walls Are there ups and downs? Or I mean, do you feel like for the most part you're in a good spot? Um, you know, it's, it's changed over my lifetime. Uh Um, my first race ever was 2004 Western States 100. And I remember finishing and saying to one of my crew, I enjoyed 99 miles out of that hundred miles. And, and it was true. I was just kind of on a high the whole time. Um, but I don't remember in my twenties and up to my mid thirties actually feeling much pain when I ran. Um, you know, and, and I had an accident in 2000, 
seven in which a rock hit me and I subluxed my patella. So my knee kind of came out and back and I've never run pain free since. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I, I can run, I'm fine, but it's, it's not pain free. So, um, so I would say before that, you know, like, like basically my running career, I look at it as before that accident and after that accident. So it was a completely different runner. So then that was in 2007. That was, um, end of 2007. Yeah. It was right after I just won UTMB and I came home and I was just on a training run and this rock came off a side hill and just smacked me. Wow. Um, you know, so it was just, I mean, it was like getting hit by lightning. It was so random. Like, you know, I'm just running along the woods and I just get hit by this huge thing. Yeah. And, um, and I had to, it was hard to get out of the woods because I was actually kind of beat up on both sides. And yeah, it was, that was, it was really awful. And I really haven't run within a mile, a minute, a mile of those times since that day, which is frustrating. Yeah. How has that been to you, you know, as far as from a, you know, an emotional standpoint? I mean, do you, did you always anticipate I will get back to that place? Um, those yeah, times? I thought I would, I thought I could get back to that. And I, and it was really hard. I mean, keeping running, especially after, you know, being undefeated for nearly seven years. Wow. Um, and everything I touched just seemed to turn to gold. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, I've never been a fast road runner, um, but I could kind of hold my own a little bit and then trails, I just, everything I touched was just great. And, and, it sounds like and, and the undefeated that. thing was on trails, of course, not on road. Cause I'm not that good a road runner, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, staying in the sport after, I mean, I knew that I would slow down at some point, Sure. but staying in the sport, going through that huge, a decline that quickly was really hard. Okay. And I mean, were, um, you ever, were you ever tempted to, to, um, I don't know, go back to, you know, something else, not as, not as competitive or not, uh, you know, not on the trails or, um, not, yes. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was, I have to admit, yeah, I was tempted to not race Okay. because it's, it's hard on, it was hard on my ego. I mean, I know, you know, that I, um, and anywhere from one to several minutes, a mile slower than I was at my best. And, you know, during the transition, when I was going from very good to good, um, you know, people would post things like I beat Nikki Kimball yeah, and, okay. you know, I'm like, yeah, you beat the Nikki Kimball who has 60,000 miles on her body, not the Nikki Kimball who had 40,000 miles on her body. Sure. Like, yeah. you know, it's a different me. And Nikki, um, how, how hard was that? I mean, and if we look back around then 2007 and beyond, I mean, now social media is starting to, to grow and people do have more access, I guess. I mean, so yeah. is that hard to not want to respond to, to some of those people? Um, Yes. Yeah. Um, and I didn't respond. Yeah. Um, but here's the messed up thing is that, you know, the overwhelming majority of messages I would get would be positive. Mm. And it's just the one or two that are negative that, that I put my brain onto, which is so, I mean, I, I know it's extremely human of me to do that, but I, um, but, but I, and I hate to admit that I'm sucked into that, you know, I'm totally sucked it, into that. Um, because I, there, there's really no good coming out of a negative comment that's written on the internet. I mean, everybody gets 
it's just the way of the world now. Like, like sort of pontificating on that, it's not going to do me any good. But that's why I love, though. I love, I mean, this is your vulnerability, right? And and you're right. I mean, that is, uh, in my practice, I do a lot with mindfulness. And, you know, if you really just sit back and observe thought, we can have, uh, you know, in one minute, how many thoughts can we have, right? And why do we, oh, yes. why, why do we attach to that negative? I love how you said you would get, what, 10 to 1, 100 to 1 positive comments? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I've never done the math, but yeah. it's probably a hundred to one. Okay. I mean, you know, and it's yeah. that, that one thing. Um, and, and you know, I'm, I'm certain that that's probably true of many aspects of my life. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I remember more the professor who, you know, wrote the, um, disparaging comments on an essay that I did than, than I do of the professors who were like, yeah, that was good. All the ones that were, yeah, like, great job. Here's an A, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and before I, and I want to, boy, I want to, I want to, I want to jump in there, but I have to ask you, one of the notes I had taken was uh, in 2006, you took third overall at Western States, overall, right? Yeah. And I remember that was, uh, that was about the time where I was, um, I was doing a lot of uh, volunteer work at Western States. And I was just, again, just getting into ultra running. And I remember being at the river and I remember we were, you know, we were, um, hearing that, you know, Nikki could win this thing. Right. And, and I want to know, do you remember what your mindset was that day? I mean, were you looking to possibly be the first woman ever to win Western States overall? Um, during the day I realized I was getting up close and, um, and I, I, at that point I knew that given the right conditions, which would mean very bad conditions, like very, very, very hot. Uh Um, and the men's fields go out hard and beat each other up that I could do it. Um, but like I, I I knew, you know, it would have to be perfect and I'd have to have the perfect race. But, but that is when I thought I have to win this race. Okay. And of course that is one goal that was unrealized. Um, but it was, you know, but I, I podium. I, I, I I've been on the podium at high level races a few times for the men. Yeah, and yeah. you know I love doing that. Okay. And granted, the U.S. Yeah, so I mean, granted there were you know the. I don't think we were necessarily running slower than there were just less people in it. Okay. So you know that's the thing about hundred miles, is that, you know we, be on the starting line with, you know five or ten people who might win. Now you can be on the starting line with. 50 people who might win. And that's, you know, so, so, um, it, so it's, it's a different, it's a different game in that way. Like it's, I think it was easier for a woman to win kind of then, um, just because the, the, you know, you might have 10 really, really fast guys, but that's, that's it. Sure. Um, you know, like, Oh, I, and I, you know, I'm in Roseville, my office is in Roseville, right down the road from Auburn. And so there are a lot of Western States junkies here, you know, local. And, you know, for, for those that, that just know the course and know the race, um, do you remember specifically when you, you know, when you were hearing about where the people were that were ahead of you or, or, you know, were there times where you thought, okay, I, I'm, I got to make a push or do you remember some of the specifics of that day? No, actually, okay. I mean, I, it was more kind of after the race that I was thinking, uh-huh. I want to win this. Um, because I didn't know what was happening ahead of me during it. I was just having fun. I mean, that was still during the days where I didn't really feel much pain when running. And I was just, you know, laughing and dancing and 
being ridiculous, Nikki, who I was, you know, during that time. Yeah, I was at um, mile 78 when you came through. I mean, the first two runners were admittedly, they were, you know, they were all locked in and they were really serious. And you were the first one that came through that was, you know, you were asking us how we were doing. And, and uh, just, you know, it was, it, that's when we were like, she's got to win. You know, we were so excited. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. You won a lot of fans. That's there, awesome. Um, and you mentioned a hot year. I have to tell you the other memory I have, and I don't know if you remember this one, but this was 2015. We were both running states, and uh, we were staying at the Squaw. I had to go back and look at my um, Hotels.com account. Uh, what was it? The Resort of Squaw Creek. Um, uh, Squaw, Squaw Creek. And it was the hot year. And, and if you remember, the rooms don't have AC, but the hallways do. And right, we and we were all hanging out in the hallway. Yeah, yeah, and then you came Yeah, I mean, that's my first real memory yeah. of you, Yeah, um, yeah. specifically. And that that was, was, that it was, was so blast. much fun. It was, it was, and which is really funny because you're paying for this really nice room. You're about to, you know, we're, we're going into this uh, just uh, amazing race, and then we had no AC in the rooms. And so uh, you you, right. were, you were nice and hung out with my wife and I uh, that night. And I remember you showed, so you're at work. Do you have that device that you use to, as a physical therapist? I do, I want to yes. see this. I, um, I have memories of this. Okay. My AC. Stim. Yes. Okay. All right. oh, yeah, it's right here. Okay. So yeah, these little torture devices and they're fantastic. Show and tell. Um, Let's we'll see. Okay. Yep. Okay. They're what? a little, and you take this <laughs> plastic device and scrape it along. Oh. Yeah. And it feels so good. Does it? I mean, yeah. but Tony, here's the thing. Yeah. Um, I, I took my, uh, dry needling certification course this fall. Of course okay. you can't do that in California cause it's not legal there, but um, most Talk states it that. is. Is it? Okay. What and, is that? Um, so you take needles, um, just like an acupuncture needle. I mean, okay. they are acupuncture needles, but we don't do acupuncture. We do dry needling. Okay. And we find the trigger point, the part of the muscle that is, um, that, that it, neuropathic really, that has some, some, maybe the, the motor point isn't working really well, or maybe it's sort of stuck. If you think about actin and myosin coming together and, you know, your muscles contract, actin and myosin comes together like this, okay. then they relax like this and a uh, neuropathic muscles just going to kind of stay like half kind of half contracted. Okay. And so what happens, you stick a needle into the point where there's the most sort of electrical activity wow. and the muscle will, the, the, the muscles will actually twitch. Oh. And yeah, like if you do, if I did it to your calf and I did it in the right spot, your foot would actually, you know, you it would point your toes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, so, you know, it used to be thought that a stem was painful <laughs> or could be painful and it really isn't, but yeah. some people would think it was, um, but dry needling is it hurts. Um, right, how I mean, big, you, how you, you do it because it works. Okay. Are the needles um, huge? Do you have some of those? All right. No, they're just like this big. Okay. And they're super skinny. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't go, I mean, the deepest needle I would do would be four millimeters. I mean, four millimeters, four centimeters. Um, but you're going in, I mean, you can put the needle in, you know, you generally I'm working around, um, uh, two and a half to three centimeters deep into the Wow. Into the muscle. Of course, I only work on runners, so I've never tried dry needling on like some big CrossFit person. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. there you would have to use a bigger needle. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember you were, you were telling my wife A-STEM would have been great for plantar fasciitis, right? I mean, the A-STEM. Yes. And then what's the dry needling particularly? Are you doing a lot? What do you see a lot of there? I actually, it's very good for plantar fasciitis. Um, and for it, but even better for Achilles tendinosis. Ah. So releasing those calf muscles because it's all sort of a continuous fascial plane with the um the calf muscles the achilles tendon 
and the plantar fascia, they're all connected. Uh And so I found with my runners that if I release gastroc and soleus, those big calf muscles up above, Achilles and plantar fascia pain gets better. Um, so I actually, what, what I like to do is treat somebody maybe once a week with dry needling and once a week with a stem, okay. uh, you know, plus all the exercises and all yeah, the other yeah, stuff they're going yeah. to do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it works nicely. Hey, I have to ask you. So, um, I know if somebody is coming to you for physical therapy and you say you only work with runners, I mean, you know, when you get somebody who is coming in and they know your background, I mean, do you feel like they're, you know, are they saying, Hey, I, you know, I know I'm not very fast, but I mean, you, do you hear a lot of that? <laughs> yeah, I will get that. Um, but you know, most of my, you know, Bozeman, though growing very fast, is still has that kind of small town feel. And, um, you know, and I will go out and run um, local races, you know, with patients who've graduated from PT and I'll go at their pace. I love and it. so people okay. will see that I can run an 11 minute pace for 5K and be comf- and be happy to do that. And I, um, I, and I find that even if it's my, my wife who wants to run with me and she's always saying, you know, it's going to be too slow. But, I mean, that's not what it's about, right, in a situation like that? Yeah. yeah. Even, even for and somebody like you. I used to you. always yeah. get frustrated that people would say that. Like, yeah. I'm not going to go with you. I'm too slow. And now I'm the person, especially when I was coming back from hamstring repair, I was the person being like, but I'm too slow to run with you. And I'm like, wait a second. I hated it when people said that to me. Exactly. I love that. If any, if any of the runners listening, I know that they can identify with that because there's always somebody that's faster. There's always somebody that's slower. And that's not what yep. it's about. We just want to go run and uh, uh, be with people, right? Yes. Um, okay. Yes. I love it. Hey, let me – okay, can I ask you – talk a little bit about the, the integrated running camp. I mean I just – you know, I mean, maybe would it be, would it be um, smarter to kind of – well, tell me what, where that – uh, came from what, what, you know, why did you decide to put that on? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I've been incredibly lucky to have traveled around the world with ultra running and, um, you know, I, I, and I've, I've, the sport has given me, um, so much in, um, you know, in terms of experience and health and, um, friendships and social bonds. And, um, you know, it's, it's really time for me to start giving, you know, to giving back a little bit. And, you know, and I started that, you know, I always, especially when I was with the North face, they were very encouraging of the, to, with their athletes for us to pair our running with, um, some philanthropic cause, something like that. So, so I bust hats off to them. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, and I, and during my peak of my race career, I, I, did pair running with, with social justice causes, but then, um, and in 2007, still towards the peak of my career, I started being public about my experience with depression. Sure. And, um, I, and at that point there was just, nobody was talking about it. And and, what, what caused you or how did you feel comfortable, you know, being that vulnerable? Because you're right. That, that wasn't, uh, something that was talked about a lot. It's a very different world. It is. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it was interesting. One of the reasons I was, hadn't been public about it is because when I would re-credential for my physical therapy, license, it would always ask if you had mental illness Ah. and I hate to lie. I would lie on that. Okay. And, um, because the worries were, I mean, frankly, it's frankly, it's an illegal question to ask, Okay, but, um, I just, you know, and if I was, you know, and so I was 
forced to lie because I'm not going to go in front of a jury mm-hmm. to tell them that I'm capable of treating people, yeah. um, despite the fact that I have a mental illness. But there's so much, I mean, there's prejudice against mental illness within healthcare, which is so messed up, as you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so 2007, I was, um, I was kind of on top of the world. Like I was just, I, I was just winning lots of races, traveling the world, running really fast. And, um, and I, I had a lot of confidence from that, first of all. So I had that kind of confidence going in Mm -hmm. and I had enough of a social following at that point that I was like, if somebody, you know, if the, if the physical therapy association tries to pull my license because I have depression, I've got the world behind me and we will fight it. Um, so I, you know, I, I knew, and I trust the ACLU would help me out, you know, like, like that could be a big thing. Sure. So, um, so I had that kind of confidence going in. And then the other piece of that is that back in the early nineties, when I was first diagnosed, um, I had two friends, my boyfriend and my best friend, um, who knew something about depression. Um, my boyfriend knew because of, uh, family members and a, and a past girlfriend and my best friend knew because she went through it. Okay. So they were both extremely open and caring and I mean, they saved my life. Mm. Like they got me through times that I, without their help, I wouldn't have gotten through and I can never pay that back. And so, you know, I knew at that point when I had that much confidence, I knew the only thing I could do to repay them was to do what they did for me on a great, on a bigger scale and, and then, for others. Yeah. And then, and was the, was the, um, reception immediately positive? I mean, did, did people just overwhelmingly come to your, you know? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. What was yeah, that? What it was, was that like? and I was, but I was terrified. I actually read the article because 2007 Western States, the, um, the Bozeman Chronicle, our daily paper, um, sent a journalist down with me, mm-hmm. and we also had our senior senator Max Baucus was down crewing for they me. You, right? Yeah. And, okay. Yeah, he crewed me, and um, so it was kind of this big deal. And that's back when I mean, that's crazy. This is a whole another world away. But back when print media had resources to send journalists, um, yeah. you know, to races, and so the the journalist Tim Dumas did a four a four day series, one on Western States and one on me, like one, there'd be one article in the race in general and one on me. And I didn't read any of it till I came home. And when I read the pre Western States article, I, I had given him carte blanche to use anything that we had talked about in the paper. And he had, he had actually at one point wanted to do a book on me. So he had a lot more information than most journalists would have. Hmm. And I said he could use any of it. And so I read the paper and um, article, and I'm like, there is no way I can go to work tomorrow. Oh. This is the, the night before I have to go to work when I'm back from California. I'm like, like I'm just spread naked on this two and a half full newspaper pages of information um, that what, was. What do you remember? What, yeah. what stood out? What do you remember that you were you were worried about? Or? The. Um, yeah, there was a part where he talked about uh, when I had had a bit of a break from um, sign of a probably a combination of you know having depression and going on birth control pills, and okay. 
I was in public screaming at the top of my lungs. I mean, this is not typical depression behavior. Sure. Uh, yeah. Having a fight with my boyfriend. And then I came home and took one of his um, – he never drank and he was drinking that night. And I took one of his beer bottles and smashed it down on a table and started slicing myself with it. Uh, and Okay. Um, and I couldn't get the bleeding to stop. I wasn't trying to, it wasn't a suicide attempt. Um, but I was just in so much pain that I needed some sort of release and, um, and I couldn't get it stopped. So I had to go to the hospital Mm. and luckily had a story made up so that I didn't get put into inpatient. Um, you know, already at that point in my life, I knew that I had to lie, um, in order not to be shipped off somewhere. Sure. And, um, but that was really the big one. I mean, I was, I mean, I, I wasn't, I was clinically, I wasn't sane. Mm. And, um, you know, so I talked about that and a couple other, you know, depression things where my behavior is really, really horrible. And so I thought, how can I go to work? Mm. And so the next day, and I've just gotten back to Bozeman, I go to work and I'm working with this veteran and we're through the complicated part. He had a total knee replacement. We're through the complicated part of treatment where I actually have to think. And I'm just, you know, throwing electrodes on him. It's not that difficult. And we can just chat. And he looked at me and um, said, I'm on Zoloft. It saved my marriage. It saved my life. Wow. And like, that was the moment. I mean, there aren't that many aha moments in someone's life. Yeah. But when he said this, you know, this guy who had never said anything We'd never talked about anything deeper than how much we loved our dogs, you know, and and then he says this and I'm certain he's never uttered those words outside the doctor's office or his marriage. And um, so I was just like, that's like what I did was right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So then at that point, then did you feel like, okay, I'm I can own this and and I don't have to worry. Okay. Yep. Yep. And and it was and and then there was further buildup all that whole week I had people like coming up to me in the grocery store and crying and hugging me. Wow. And so, I mean, it was very, very powerful. And so I think, you know, my interaction with that gentleman made me know I did the right thing. The weeks following made me realize I wasn't going to take any negative blowback from it. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, there could be, but I had enough ego that, you know, like, you know, no one had the guts to say anything negative to my face. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then meanwhile, you're, you're hearing a lot of people that, uh, that was giving them the courage to open up. Yes. Yeah. So then did a lot yeah. of, uh, did a lot of additional articles follow at that point? I mean, do you feel like it, it quickly accelerated or did it kind of, it was it not a few years? About? Yeah. Okay. You know, um, you know, it's, you know, it's really been in the last five years, people seem to be talking a lot more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, it was very, uh, it, was, it was a huge deal locally, mm. which is great um, because unfortunately Montana, as beautiful as it is, always is, you know, has one of the top three suicide rates in the country. Yeah. Um, and so it's super, in, you know, super invested in stopping doing whatever I can to stop suffering yeah. and suicide in this state. Um, so I'm glad that I sort of, you know, started the coming out process as far as depression goes, um, locally. And now I'm building a business or, you know, a charity locally, um, for, you know, aimed at decreasing suffering regarding depression. 
And, and do you feel like you have a lot of people then uh, turn to you or ask you questions, or do you get a lot of messages, um, you know, direct yeah. messages on Twitter? Do you get a lot of people that open up to you? Yeah, yeah, I do get that. Um, I tend not to look at my Facebook, so I don't really know um, because I, I definitely have messages I need to get to. Mm. Um, but um, but locally, I've also had people who will call me, anyone local, they know how to get a hold of me. Wow. They can come in. I'll, you know, and, and I've had parents ask me to talk to their children. Okay. Like, um, you know, the, the, the early twenties tends to be a late teens and early twenties tends to be a really tough time in people's lives. And, um, so, uh, you know, parents of that age group will want me to talk to their children and I'm happy to do that. And then occasionally I'll have patients who choose to come to me for physical therapy, but it's because they also want to talk about how their depression affects their physical condition. Sure. Okay. Um, and they know that, that they can like, I'm a safe space for that. Yeah. Um, so that's really nice. Um, and luckily I, I know the psychiatrists and some of the psychologists in town, obviously. So, um, so I can get them to the right person because even though I might, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I might be sort of, this public face of depression, but I'm not an expert on depression. I mean, I'm, so I need to make sure I get them to the right person. Yeah. And Um, and have you run it? So I I try to talk a lot on, on my podcast about, uh, no fixing and judgment statements, you know, trying to just be empathetic when somebody is going to try to open up. And I'm curious, have you run into people that, that will say these unempathetic things? Like, I just don't get it. Or, Hey, you're winning races. You know, why aren't you happy? Or do you get those kind of comments? I don't personally so much, but a lot of my friends do. Okay. Um, I, I, I think I've been, I think I, I, have been such a, um, I have been so public and loud about my advocacy for, um, people with mental illness and for decreasing stigma. I think it would be hard for somebody to come to me and say that. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. but they definitely have to my friends and okay. including, um, you know, people we run with have said things like that to friends of mine who run with us who have depression, but they won't say it to me. Okay. Um, well, you know, and, and, and I can, do you have some good advice? I mean, when people come to you and say, Hey, how do I handle this when somebody just doesn't understand me? Um, I usually tell them to talk to me, okay. cause I'll yeah. be, you know, yeah. cause I, um, will advocate for them because in, in a, you know, when, when I'm in a bout of depression, there's no way I could advocate for myself. Sure. Um, so, you know, if I know the person who made the comment, I'll take them aside and, and explain how my depression presents and, you know, how you take somebody who has a very good education and has been, um, successful in a sport and, um, you know, on paper looks great. Yeah. And when I'm in a bout of depression and I can't read a book, I can't yeah. do simple math, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I, of course I could be faking that, I suppose, but, but, you know, if I'm willing to say, you know, here I'm in this professional career yeah. and I can tell you that I can't add basic numbers right. when I'm sick, yeah. like, um, you know, that's not, it's not something to be proud. It's not something that somebody would be proud of, you know? Sure. Um, but, but I'm, because I get so much more positive reinforcement, um, from being out, like I I feel like 
I'm happy to put myself in the line of fire for that. Yeah. Um, well, and, and what role did, you know, if, again, if I go back to, let's just say your Wikipedia page and I mean, um, some of the things that I wasn't even aware of where, where what you were Olympic qualifier and was it the pentathlon? I mean, some of those things. Oh, biathlon. biathlon. <laughs> okay. Biathlon. And, and early in the day, I mean, so where it was, you know, competition or athletics or, I mean, was that kind of a go-to yeah. to try to, to deal with or handle depression early on? You know, I, I, I think athletics was a go-to because I wanted to make the U S ski team. Like oh. since I was, you know, I mean, I was skiing when I was before I could walk. Wow. And so it was, the skiing was there anyway. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, Olympic trials and biathlon was just sort of an extension that's cross country skiing and shooting. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And love biathlon. It's a great sport. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was there. And it probably, you know, in hindsight, the fact that I was doing those sports may well have saved my life, but it may also have prolonged the, 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 the time from which I was symptomatic to when I was diagnosed. Okay. When, because, was, that, when was that diagnosis? So the diagnosis was 94. So a few months after, like I had had a, a decent Olympic trials, a very good national championships. And then within, within a few months I was, you know, 20 pounds lighter and mm. couldn't read a newspaper article. And yeah, yeah I was, yeah. you know, I was just not functional at all. I couldn't work. Um, so, so that was very easy to diagnose at that point because I was so dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, but probably from puberty to that time, I, I look at, um, I look back and I see, you know, I see how depression affected me. I mean, hindsight's so nice, but right. you know, um, and, and I think everyone else just thought I was a really emotional kid. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So, and then, and all right. So then how did that lead to the idea for the integrated running camp? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I love running. I mean, so even if I'm not racing as well, I'm still out there racing just because it's fun and because I love to run. And, and I know that running that, that, that aerobic exercise, now that there is hard evidence to support that aerobic exercise, um, can help with treatment of depression. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, I've been given exercise as just this gift. I mean, my parents started me off on skis. They started me running. They, you know, it was just sort of, this was part of my life. And so I've never had to think about getting into sports. Okay. It's, it's always been there. Yeah. And, but there are plenty of people suffering with depression who haven't had that advantage. And so integrated running came about, um, it's something I've been thinking about for years, but in the last couple of years, um, since a new psychiatrist came to town, she and I have become running partners. Uh, um, yeah, fortunately she got injured right when she moved to town. So uh, I treated her and then we became running partners. Okay. And, um, and so when I'm running with a psychiatrist and a, a psychotherapist and, you know, some other, we're just, you know, the best ideas come out when you're running. Sure. It sounds <laughs> and, like, it sounds like the start of a joke, but I mean, in yours, it's like, no, we were, we were yeah, bouncing yeah, ideas. A psychiatrist, a psychotherapist, and a physical therapist. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They go running in <laughs> yeah, the snow. Joke could be bad. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I, and I had done, um, you know, to credit team red, white, and blue and Liza Howard and the work she does with them, I had been to one of their camps where they, um, used running and exercise as a way to help 
um, soldiers come back to civilian life oh, and thrive. Okay. Um, and so I'd been at one of those three day camps. Like this can work for depression. Mm-hmm. I mean, this will this will work. And so we put together some programming of mindfulness training and running and running safety and core strength and then um, some you know psych. Um, you know, to talk about what, you know, having a psychiatrist talk about what depression is and why exercise will help. And the, um, therapists come and tell the difference between a master's of someone with a master's of social work and someone who, um, has a, a licensed clinical counselor. And, and because I think it's really important for people to know his part was really important in that, how would you know, entering the healthcare system, what the difference is between someone who is actually professionally trained to be, to counsel somebody with a mental illness versus a life coach. Sure. Absolutely. You know? yeah. and, and I think that's one of the dangerous things we have going on right now. I mean, we have people coaching running who have no education in physiology or, um, or biomechanics and we have it all over. And we have people who are trying to help people with their psychological, you know, mental health who have no training. And, um, you know, I, so, so integrated running, one of the things we're trying to teach is, you know, make sure you get to a proper, you know, the the proper person to help. Yeah. You know, I'm very happy to admit that I can't help with the depression. I can help with the, I can work with your psychiatrist so that we know how to dose your running essentially. Yeah. Um, But, but, but I know that I, that, that my professional expertise ends here yeah. and I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be coaching somebody on nutrition. I'm not going to be coaching somebody on mindfulness. This is just, that's not my area. Yeah. So, so what did that, what did that uh, weekend look like then? How many days or was it a weekend or was so it, it was more? three, three it was days. a weekend. So, okay. but so like, but really two full days and two e- two nights. So we, um, a friend of ours, one of the women who's part of integrated running, she lost her husband to suicide in 2009 and, um, they owned an adventure company. So they have this, um, lodge down in, um, Gardner, Montana, and, um, we could, we could house 10 people easily. They're all in their own rooms. And, Mm. um, so they would come in Friday afternoon and we kind of went over, since we've only had one camp, went over ground rules, when you have a bunch of people who have, um, you know, a significant, a serious mental illness, sure. there's certain ground rules that have to be there. So, the, so the psychology, you know, the, um, psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, they would talk about that. And then we, uh, cooked dinner and our, uh, the dinner, the two cooks were me and, um, of my best friend from childhood, who's a medical doctor here. Oh, wow. And wow. so we would cook, and then Andrea would go over nutrition, what nutrition things might help if you have depression. Well, and and I was, then, you know, when I was doing some yeah. digging on you, I mean, I know that uh, you've you've gone. I mean, have you? Is it safe to say that you've you've experimented with different diets that have kind yes. of helped you with whether it's performance or or has it been yes. part of that is with your emotional health as well? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, a high fat diet um, has been fantastic for my depression. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm on a higher carb diet. It, it, for me personally, it, it, it's really not good on my mood and I have 
I tend towards more depression and a little bit more swinging of moods. Okay. And I think so, that's significant. I mean, yeah. I don't think a lot of people look at diet as, as far as with depression, right? right? I mean, right. okay. And when and I'm trying we to need you know, a lot more information on that, sure. Uh, you know, the nutrition, the diet, the registered dietitians and the medical doctors and, and the therapists, there isn't, we just don't have enough um, information. I mean, I think uh, there is a lot more study of ketogenic diets as they get more popular, but I don't think it, you know, I want to know, is it just having, you know, is there a certain percentage of your diet that should be fat? And is that going to change your, you know, your mental health? And it might work for one person. It might not work for another. And so I just, it's an area where if there's any um, budding researchers in nutrition out there, yeah. this is an area that absolutely needs to be studied. Because then we're not talking about fat like, hey, I need more Oreos. I mean, you're talking about healthy fats, right? Right. I well, mean, yeah, healthy or, you know, bacon. Well, <laughs> um, all right, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, keep, so keep it's talking. not all okay. super healthy. I mean, my, you know, my lipid levels are very good and I eat plenty of um, things that would traditionally have been considered bad, a little bit like yolks of eggs and butter and, yeah. uh, and, and meats that have, have fat in it. Okay. Um, so, and lots of nuts and yeah, I, I didn't yeah. hear I didn't hear Kit Kat there there though at all. Huh? No, 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 no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But no, I do, and I, and I think that when I'm working with clients in particular, and I'm trying to say, hey, we need to make sure we hydrate, we need to make sure we sleep, eat right, you know, some mindfulness. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I get almost this blank look, like, no, 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 I'm I'm here to talk about my depression, you know, and and so right. I do feel like there's so much more. That I mean, I'm so grateful that we're 10 years down the road from what you were, you know, kind of talking about. We're so much Absolutely. further, but boy, we've got a long way to go, right? We do have a long way to go, yeah. but at least we're looking at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and, and you remember um, in the 1990s where you know, of, I mean, the psych field was not thinking about nutrition at all with mm. respect to depression, but they also weren't thinking about running. True. Uh, or they yeah. exercise. I mean, I, I remember when I, I had an absolutely amazing psychiatrist when I was in Idaho and I was first, um, and I was ski racing and I was first diagnosed and he was amazing. And then I went to graduate school and went to this, I guess he was a psychologist. I don't even remember. He had, mm-hmm. he's some doctorate of some sort. And, um, and he asked me, you know, well, what do you do when you're not studying? Well, I run, what are you running from? And oh. I mean, the dude even looked like Sigmund Freud. I just, <laughs> You know, and I was just like, have you ever thought about what I'm running toward? I just, you sure. know, like, yeah, yeah. but I didn't have the guts or yeah. the, the voice, or the information the... behind me. I mean, I knew in my heart that exercise was key to my health, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the um, peer reviewed papers to, you know, just stuff in his face and be like, you know, have you looked at anything since Freud? Yeah. Um, you know, um, so yeah, that it, it, I, we're just, it, it, I think this, the, the entire, um, mental health profession is, is, is just gaining, gaining traction on, yeah. um, with respect to nutrition and exercise and integrating into, um, into medicine in general and not just being this separate yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I, can you I, know? can I go on a tiny, um, uh, tangent with you? Yeah, real absolutely. Quick? So when people find out about how much you run, uh, when you get the inevitable, you know, how are your knees, you're breaking down that sort of thing. What's your go-to? I mean, I, every runner I talk to has their, you know, their go-to, what's your response? to? Well, I, I like the, 
uh, articles that came out in the um, in the orthopedic journals in yeah. the 2000 aughts yep. that showed that yep decreased incidence of osteoarthritis oh, in regular runners than the general population. Absolutely. Okay. That's, I think that we all have that one that we fall back on. Right. But, but still, yep. I mean, do you get that as much as uh, I would imagine uh, where? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. But then they see what I can still do, you know, oh. that I'm 46 and I'm jumping off cliffs with skis on my feet and you know, <laughs> what can they really say? Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some serious injuries, but every one of my injuries has happened with some sort of accident you know it hasn't been running it's you know i mean i can't call being hit by a rock that's not a running accident i happened to be running at the time but it was a rock accident (laughs) that's right yeah i didn't hit the rock the rock hit me perfect timing and i feel like that i feel like that's another area that we're gonna eventually um kind of get better with is the biomechanics and we're going to find out that a lot of you know a lot of the running injuries are people that have ramped up too quickly or we're running on the camber of the road or not switching out shoes enough or you know and i feel like if you're paying attention to a lot of that i mean the body's pretty amazing yes right yes and i think the literature is actually pretty clear on that most of the running in the physical therapy literature is pretty clear that most running injuries are a result of training errors Mm -hmm. okay um and then yeah. overcompensation and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. This yeah. is not, I, it's not running itself. I mean, there are some people whose mechanics do not lend themselves well to running. Sure. Yeah. And then because there are you people know. that might have a, a leg an inch shorter, we, we hear some of those kind of biomechanical issues, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But then I've seen, you know, I, I've, I've treated a patient who has this very, very significant scoliosis and leg length difference, but she can, you know, as long as, I mean, she can run half marathons, no problem. I mean, she's she's fine, you know, and, and, but that requires some tweaking. Okay. Um, you know, you have to, um, do we want to lift this shoe? Do we not want to? And it takes, and all the tweaking has to be done incredibly slowly. So there's a lot of patience there. They get, they they kind of have to want to, right? Yeah. Yeah. They have to want to. And then, I can't give them a heel lift and tell them to go out and run their regular distance. Mm-hmm. I can give them a heel lift and say, run a quarter mile. Yeah. I mean, and then let's see, know, what, so see what the data the is, right? Yeah. Um, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit. I went on that tangent and, and, you know, and, and I want to uh, make sure we, we, you know, give more, uh, more to the integrated running camp, but you, you use the word traction and man, I, I loved your movie finding traction. Um, that was, uh, was it Indiegogo or, I mean, that was one of the first, it was crowd, Indiegogo. Yep. one of the first crowdfunding things I ever did was, uh, you know, supporting that project and couldn't wait to get the, and then know, it took DVD us two and, years, three years to get the movies out. Oh, but it was <laughs> amazing. We didn't get any other funding, yeah, yeah. but, um, um, and now they it's, did uh, a fantastic job with that. They really did. I mean, boy, that's funny now that I go back to the, your comment about bacon earlier, right? There was a, a lot yeah, of, uh, there was a lot, a lot of bacon, bacon in that. A lot of, yeah. So I mean, and, I really should have had a bacon sponsor for that movie. Yeah, <laughs> that no. could have, you know, I mean, you know, some bacon company could have funded the entire film. Oh, um, I was like, I have to. I mean, so for those who are my my um, my uh, therapy um, folks that are listening to the podcast, so Finding Traction talked about you running. It was Vermont's Long Trail, right? So, yep. uh, which is how long, Nikki? 273 miles. 273 miles. And, uh, and like 60,000 feet of gain, 63, something like that. Okay. And did you take months to do that, Nikki? <laughs> yeah, a few days. A few days, right? Yeah. Five days. Five yeah. days. Yeah. I mean, and again, if, if, if anyone wants to just see an amazing documentary, it's Finding Traction. It's on Netflix, right? 
Yes, it is. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, from a mental health standpoint, uh, or just even, you know, tell me what that, what, what was that like, you know, three, four days in? I mean, the, I thought the documentary <laughs> did a nice job because you would kind of see these mood swings basically depending upon the amount of bacon that you had consumed, right? But I mean, right, what, right, right, exactly. But I mean, the, the, the sleep was, a, you know, started to be a real challenge and there's physical pain. What was that like? It was, the mood swings were pretty crazy. Okay. Um, yeah, I was really quite well for about three days and then stuff just started to fall apart. (laughs) And, um, uh, but emotionally, you know, like anything else, I mean, would you, would you sign up for a hundred mile race after most you know, like one minute after finishing a hundred mile? Probably not. No, no, no. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so, um, I don't, think I remember, except that I've seen the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I feel like most of the time I was doing pretty well <laughs> in my memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, then I see this film, I'm like, Oh God, I was ugly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and of course the film, because it's a documentary they they do want to document uh, to make running interesting. Oh, the, yeah. They need to show the highs and lows and, and, um, you know, it'd be pretty boring if it's just left, right, left, right. Oh, I'm happy. Sure. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, it was good for me to see how low I got and see that on film. And I'm, um, you know, I had nothing to do with the editing, no power at all. I didn't, I like the film is not, I had nothing to do with putting the story together or any of the film. And I, I'm so happy that the editors and the producer were so brutally honest with it. Um, I have subsequently seen people um, putting documentaries together where the subject of the documentary is giving feedback. Mm. And it just makes me upset because we don't, we have, we, we have no right to be in control of the media that they have. I mean, it's a true documentary. Um, it shouldn't be glorifying the athlete. I mean, like all humans, I have some very ugly sides to me and some really great sides to me. And, um, so I'm just, I, I am so happy that, that, you know, the, the main film event of my life was done by very professional, um, you know, uh, master, you know, they had their MFA, which is the terminal degree, masters of fine arts degree, terminal degree for documentary film from Montana state university, which is an excellent program. So, um, so I'm, I'm really, really lucky that I can be that, that, that I can look to that film and say it's honest and yeah. say it's brutal. And but I think that's um, one of those good old yeah. metaphors for life of, I mean, the ups and downs, you, you know, yep. uh, and, and because we go back to whether it's we're talking about mindfulness and and where our mind goes. And, you know, one minute we can have this joy and you're doing it in 273 miles and you're going to make it yep. and the next minute. It's you know, uh, what am I doing? And, and what do I have left? Right. And, right? and just, can you just shoot me now? Yeah, it's just exactly, horrible. Right? And, yeah. You know? and then you make it through. And, and that's one of the things I love when I get to, I mean, I don't have uh, any, any of the wins or these things that you've been through, but I love just talking about the multiple walls that you hit or the, you know, so yep. sure, you're going to feel down, but uh, give it a little time and kind of be present. Yeah. Right. And boy, you did that so well in that movie. I mean, just continuing yeah. to move forward, be present. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And running is a sport that is accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what I love about it. And I think the film shows that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not fast in, you know, I'm not, I'm not moving very fast in those days 
you know, four and five, I'm not <laughs> doing so well. Um, yeah. but, um, but really if, if there's anything to come out of my running career, it's not the wins. It's not, um, the U S teams I've been on. It's not all the course records I've had like those the next year, somebody else is going to win or the next year, somebody else is going to win. Nobody remembers that. Yeah. I mean, you remember it for that year. Yeah. But what about that person who, um, who is, you know, they've just hit their five year post chemo mark and they're cured. And then they go out and they, they mark that by running a hundred mile race. Like that person is more impressive than anything I did. And or at least as impressive. And, um, and so it's kind of nice to be on the sort of older end of my career as a runner and recognize, um, how fleeting the importance of, of actual winning is and, and, and how deep the effect of running and the friendships and, um, and the experiences I've had are, I mean, mm. the, like, you know, I, I don't remember every race, but I remember going to China at this time and going to South Africa at this time. And, um, and, you know, and, and watching my teammates, um, you know, pair a South African trip with saving AIDS orphans and, um, wow. you know, near, um, Durban and, um, and working with her on that, like that has meaning and not that winning doesn't, I mean, winning absolutely has meaning in and of itself, but, but there's so much more to it. And, um, well, it sounds like winning gave you the access. I mean, winning gave you access to, to, to do all of these other things, right? Yes. Yep. I mean, it did, it gave me, it gave me some power that, I could do with what I pleased, you know, it, like I, I had a, a voice that people are going to listen to. And, um, and I love that I have that because, um, because I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely passionate, obviously about mental health and decreasing stigma and all that. And, and so if I can use the power that I've gotten through my running resume, that my running resume gives me yeah. to, affect change or to, to start affecting change or will continue to affect change in mental health. Um, I mean, I, I think, uh, we know the stigma is decreasing anyway, because lots of people are doing exactly what I'm doing and, and fighting it. Mm. And, um, and I want to see healthcare change such that, um, that people in mental health and people in physical health professionals are working together Sure. And, um, and I, and, and it's, it's coming. And if I can be part of that, it's just such an exciting place to be because we're seeing this, um, overlap or, and, and this intersection of physical and mental wellness and, um, you know, and, and how lucky am I to have this running resume that I can, you know, the, the, my pet project that I care about, you know, I get, a, I, I get to do a little bit more with it, even though like running races isn't really related to, um, you know, to the cause I'm, I'm going for now. Yeah. But, and you also had the, the courage to open up about it when, at a time when that was difficult, which is, uh, that, that says a lot. I think that does. Yeah. yeah. I'm well, really glad of that. What, so what do you hope to do with the integrated running camps moving forward? I mean, do you hope to spread those into different places or hold those yes, more often? Ideally. Or, I yeah. mean, <laughs> I've never done a five, I've never uh, started a 501c3 before. Okay. <laughs> and, um, so right now we're, um, 
all of us who are involved in it um, are passionate about mental wellness. Mm. None of us is good at business. Um, so, uh, actually this Friday we're meeting to get our board together to start getting people on our board. Um, and we need people who can do business and people who can do marketing and people. Um, so, so ideally we're kind of going, I, I talked to, um, actually, um, a former president of Hoka, Mm. um, Jim Van Dyne, who's just lovely. Um, uh, because he, he's very, very good at business. You don't get that high in business without it. So I, so I, so I spoke with him about how to, you know, how do we get integrated running to impact the most people? And, um, and so somewhat, uh, from, from his advice that we've been thinking about it anyway, next year, after our first camp, we are having then weekly runs oh, that nice. anybody can join. They don't have to have gone to that camp. Um, and weekly jo- runs, leading up to, um, we have two races in the, in the area that are support mental wellness, mental okay. health. And so we'll have, uh, one session of, of weekly runs leading up to one of those races, and then we'll start it again. And these weekly runs will be, there will be at least one integrated running person there. So if I'm the person leading that run, we will do physical therapy, injury prevention ah, exercises. Okay. Yeah. If, um, Dr. Rich is the person who's leading it. She'll do mindfulness exercises during the run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if our, if our social worker, Justin Short leads it, he'll, he'll add some other type of, you know, therapy, um, bent to the run. So, so it's running, but with this really not just a running group I and mean, we're run, a running group that is focused on mental health. Okay. Uh, not, yeah. Not just going out. Yeah. Not, not just going out for a run. There's so much more to right. it. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, the big question that I want to answer with integrated running and that it, not necessarily with integrated running, I don't care who answers it, mm. um, is we know that exercise is great for people with depression, but we also know that depression steals motivation to exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. And so where is that? you know, what is it? How do you, how do you bridge that gap? Mm. And that's what we're, that's the goal of integrated running is bridging that gap. And I think in our first camp, um, we asked for feedback and we're like, please be honest. You know, and, and I think we were a little bit light on the, um, psych end. Mm. Um, and, and so we're changing that to bring a lot more psych into it. But where the other thing in the way Jim Van Dyne and I were talking about is, you know, if we have weekly runs, there is the accountability that you have. You know, I know everybody is meeting at this trailhead at 7 a.m. on Saturday. I'm going to be there. And sometimes that's, um, that's all it takes. I mean, that accountability yep. or right. And I don't want to yep, I don't yep. want to steal your time, but I have to tell you. So, you know, I work with uh, with a lot of people with depression and I and I do get a fair amount of. Um, people that I would love to just write a prescription for running. And, and I've done a couple of podcasts on what I call the emotional baseline theory. And so I do feel like, you know, when life is going well and someone's baseline of emotion is high, um, they're, they're being met with all the challenges of the day, work and relationships and, and those sort of things. And they can, 
you know, they can respond well. But then when depression hits and their baseline of emotions lowers, all the same, you know, uh, things are hitting them on a daily basis. Yes. And and the lower then as they don't respond as they think they should, and, and I try to people encourage people not to be should on, right? But right. Then their baseline of emotions goes lower. And so a lot of times I start saying, okay, I just want to find any bit of self-care that can bump that baseline up a little bit because the more we can bump it little by little, then we're going to hit some point where then we can kind of meet these demands. But, but you know, when, people, when people are low, they're looking, it's like as if they're at the bottom of a hole looking up and everybody's just saying, just do this, just do this, right? And so I, that's the part I love about, you know, if you can get this accountability piece, you can get somebody just to get up and even if it's like go for a walk or whatever right. that is, bumps that baseline up enough that, okay, now maybe they feel like they can whatever, do something else self-care. Yeah, at least take right? a shower. Yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly you know, right? Yeah. And yeah. then once that happens. I mean, there are times I've yeah. had to have, like, my friends have come into the house and been like, you know, you haven't taken a shower in three days. You yeah. are, you know, yeah. and, it, and it takes them and it takes them, you know, literally coming into my house and pulling the covers off me mm-hmm. and forcing me to go for a run. And I'm all pissy for like a couple yeah. miles and then I'm fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so, and that's one of the things we want to teach mm-hmm. is, you know, our goal, the reason we've been doing, we were, we're initially setting the camps up to be local. One is that we don't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like, like we're, you know, we don't want people to pay very much to do this. We want it accessible to everyone. Right. Um, so here we have free housing and we, um, we can do the cooking for very, very little mm. money because we know how to cook. Yeah. And, um, and so, so we've, we've, we've got that. Um, but what the other reason to do it locally and, and hopefully to then go, you know, do, do it in many different places is that if everybody's from the same city or town or County who's at camp, then maybe, you know, Joe meets Sarah oh, yeah, and they absolutely. live next door to each other and they can call, you know, wake each other up and be like, come, let's go for a run. Cause I think it is, you know, those of us with depression can keep each other alive and keep each other thriving. Absolutely. Because we're not all down at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, so the person who's up, it's incumbent upon her to, you know, give a hand up to the person who's, who's not doing well. Yeah. So, so that's part of the, the strategy is get people, you know, and, and I, don't think we necessarily managed that the first camp, but that's why we're tweaking it. Sure. Yeah. No, it sounds wonderful. Right. Hey, uh, yeah, I, so I've, I've already kept you over an hour. Um, are you okay <laughs> if I ask a couple of kind of silly questions yeah. before we go? Yeah. I am curious though. So when, when we've been at Western States and we've had some of the runners from uh, Japan or some other countries come through there, I love watching them look at the, uh, you know, the, the, the table full of food and kind of like, okay, I don't know what I'm looking at here. Right. And you have raced <laughs> yeah. all over the world. I mean, you, have you had that experience where you're pulling up? To, Absolutely. Hey, what, what, have, what have you seen? What have you tried? You know, what have you, what's that been like? Yeah, Taiwan and um I had a World Cup race at Taiwan and in Japan. So very different foods that were different. Um <laughs> you know, the, uh, in Taiwan um <laughs> these little kind of doughy wrap sweet things. Um that tastes good when you're not running, but it turns out when you try to taste them when you you just you can't even swallow it if oh. you're American and you just don't have that talent. Yeah. And then in and then in Japan, we were there for World Championships 2005, which is why it missed Western states that year. Um, and it's about 80, 85 degrees, bright sun, really humid. Humid. So really, you know, seems hotter than Western states. 
and there's sushi on the table. Oh, good old and I'm raw just fish. like, okay. Raw well, fish in well, 85 degree weather. I think I'm not going for oh, that. D- didn't try it, huh? No. <laughs> didn't try it. So, um, so I've definitely had some interesting foods, particularly in Asia. Yeah. But, you know, as a Westerner going to Asia, the food is more, yes, more different. You know, if we go to Europe, it's okay. There might be a croissant or something yeah. like some awesome French pastry. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. You're <laughs> in at that, right? And, and I noticed, yeah. did, did you recently, did you run in India? I did. Yeah. Oh, I helped a friend. Like? Yeah. Um, well, I've run in India a couple of times. I've raced there once, which was great. Um, and I was helping out a friend of mine, Sam Gash, who ran across the northern part of India wow. in order to raise money for education to sort of decrease. You know, she's another one of those people who's running and trying to use that. Her passion is children. Mm. And, um, you know, how, how, how do you make a, a system more equitable? You educate people and you yeah. educate girls and you. Um, and so uh, she put together this um nearly 3000 kilometer wow. run across India to, uh, to raise money and awareness of, of the need for education. Um, and, uh, gave that, you know, she raised a, it was a dollars Wow. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, and, and that's, I mean, I love this sport because I mean, it just seems everywhere you turn, somebody is doing something amazing. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, what's, what's been, I mean, do you have a go-to most difficult race? Oh, I don't think so. Okay. They're all difficult in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. What about, um, I mean, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I always have, I always read it, but the marathon disables, right? <laughs> Disabla. Disabla. Okay. Um, you yeah. won, you won that, but I mean, I've heard that that's incredibly difficult. Is that? Well, I think every race wants to call itself the, okay. the toughest foot race on earth. Yeah. Sure. Um, and really, uh, Marathon de Saab, I love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, went into it with a bad attitude <laughs> because I had heard of um, some some sort of nationalistic um, stuff that happened before my time there. Okay, tell, uh, me, where tell me, where's that? Yeah, where's that at? Where, where? Well, it, it's in Morocco, but it's a French run race. Okay, and um, and I had heard stories of you know, uh, of, of non-French runners getting, um, you know, getting penalties for stupid stuff. And, Uh, and and I think some of that might've happened. And I had also heard, you know, I also knew, didn't hear, knew that the women's prize money was much, much less. And so I refused to run it until the women got equal prize money. Wow. Okay. uh, Because I just absolutely won't do that. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, you know, there was a big, uh, discrepancy there, but you know, I have to say, being there myself, um, and I don't know, uh, I didn't see any of that. Wow! I thought that um, the, the 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 French race officials were extremely fair to me. Um, uh, they put up with my horrible, horrible attempts to speak French, and they would help me with that. And um, and I didn't, I didn't feel you know, maybe there were mistakes made in the past. I didn't feel any of that. So here I go in kind of like negative Nelly Mm. and then worse on the trip into the race. Um, we, the bus going in, we saw a horrible accident or the aftermath of, and, you know, literally saw two people dying on the road. And 
so I get there and I'm just like, I don't want to be here. I've heard horrible things about this. And then I just watched these two guys die and there's blood everywhere. And, and so I went into it just as negative as I could possibly go into it with negative expectations. And they had amazing medical, they had amazing organization, they had good, um, you know, the people making sure the rules were being done were, I thought very fair. And, you know, so, so every negative thing I went in there expecting was turned on its head. And so it was really nice. How far into the race did it take you to then feel like, okay, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm present, uh, you know, I can do this. Um, you know what? Actually, it happened the first day. Okay. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm very weather sensitive, and it was so bright sunny. Uh-huh. And this was the first sun I'd seen in a while because it's winter in Montana, and and not that we don't have sun, but it was the first, like, wow, look at the sun. Yeah. And I was just, like, happy. I, I Just that, that first day, I was just, like, my mood completely changed. I still wasn't necessarily, um, you know, I, I still had heard a lot of, you know, I still knew the bad stuff that I had heard about the race. So I still wasn't necessarily trusting, but, um, he, he, the people, because of the, the, the top runners get, um, they, all their equipment checked and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first time I went through that, and the lead woman was a French woman, um, Laurence Klein, and she is awesome. And she went through it and we just, we ended up just sort of joking a lot and joking about, uh, you know, oh, she's not French. We should take that out of her pack, you know, like just, and making fun of the, some of the bad reputation that had been there previously. Sure. And, and it was wonderful. I mean, they, the people were, but like, I realized pretty quickly that it was, it was fair. It was transparent. It, you know, and I, I just, I can't say enough good about that race, especially since I was such a poor sport going into it. Um, there's some life lessons there, right? There really are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, what do you have? What do you have coming up? What's, uh, what's next? Well, I, you know, I'm finally running. Well, I've been running for a while, but I've, I'm having had my hamstring repaired Mm. because of the, a vicious parking lot accident. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, so I'm actually going to race lookout mountain 50 mile in Chattanooga, December 12th. And that'll oh, wow. be my okay. first post injury race. And I haven't been doing speed work yet, except uphills. I'm not, I still, um, am not allowed to run fast on flat, but luckily 50 miles are going to run slow. Okay. So, yeah, sure. um, <laughs> so that's my next thing. And then, you know, next year, I don't really know. I mean, I, um, you know, I don't know where I, I you know, I, I doubt I'll have much sponsorship because I've had a rate year of not racing. Um, so I really think next year's goal is to get integrated running nice. going. And, but I, I, you know, of course I still put in for hard rock cause I always want to get into okay. that race and I put in for Western and, you did. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I will probably do Georgia death race. Um, so, you know, maybe I, I come back to, uh, a speed which can, you know, get me into Western States. Maybe I don't, um, you know, I have a lot of miles on my body, so mm-hmm. I'm not expecting that, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to, 
um, you know, the sort of new phase of going into integrated running and, and, and doing work on the mental health front with exercise. I love it. And okay. So the lottery is this Saturday. I mean, uh, I'm, oh, that's I'm, right. yeah, I'm and in, I'm in there as well. Yeah, okay. Hard Rock and Western. It's a big day. Wow. Okay. That is kind of exciting, right? Hey, did you uh, put in for this year, Tony? I'm in States. Yeah. I'm in the States lottery, but, uh, matter of fact, I had to go run the, uh, Kayamuka hundred K with uh, very little training. I was coming off of a oh. cu- couple of broken ribs. And so I, I totally did a mindfulness run and it was one of the yes. great, greatest experiences ever. I mean, it really was. So, uh, isn't yeah. it funny how that happens? Yeah, how yeah. the greatest experiences happen when we go in. Oh, I had no expectations, no expectations yep. and, uh, not as much training. Well, you nailed like. it right and, there. Oh, yeah, right. And it was just, it was, it was a blast. So, all right. Well, uh, I mean, th- I've been looking forward to this for so long. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and, uh, and the integrated running. I hope that that is something you'll be able to bring here to Auburn. I mean, and you know, we've got the I trails, so. right? Auburn and, is definitely one of the places we're hoping to come. Yeah. And then, uh, and then hopefully we will both get, uh, pulled for States. We will then repeat yeah. the Squaw Creek experience. My wife just thinks you are the greatest person ever. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I will, I will, uh, you know, I will, uh, I'll tell her that, uh, to make sure and, and watch this, uh, this podcast. So thanks so much for taking Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. Okay. And I, and hopefully if you don't mind, maybe down the road, we can catch up again. I think we should. And thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, and no, gosh. I mean, that's, I uh, love it. I mean, if you, I mean, it's a, you're, you're, I love though, you had the platform and you had the courage and, uh, and even when that wasn't in vogue and that has made my, my job so much easier. And I do have to tell you, honestly, um, I've pointed people to a couple articles that I have bookmarked where you've been pretty open about, um, you know, your struggles with depression and, and, and that has helped a lot of people, some people very close to me, as a matter of fact. So I'm grateful for, uh, for your, your being vulnerable and for what you've done. So. Thank you. Thanks, Nikki. All right. I will uh, hopefully see you up in Squaw and then uh, maybe another time down the road here on the virtual couch. Okay. That would be fantastic. All right. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you, Tony. Bye-bye. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is Wasting rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most
Develop distance, don't explode Allow the understanding through To heal the legs and hearts you broke The pain is wonderful The sheep rock walls just might implode Upon my mental strengths and power 